Good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. Put my sermon in a red folder just, you know, to honor the day. I have a great Valentine. I've been blessed. I can't help it if she didn't make a good deal. I got in on a good one. We've been in this series on Disciple One, and last week, you know, we looked at the video, we got the idea about people multiplying and, and reaching the other folks, and so we kind of want to continue in that vein, and, and I had, to, I don't know, over a year ago or something, I'd heard a little sermon out of this section of Scripture that we're going to look at a little bit later on uh, uh, by a guy named Pastor Don Wilson out in Arizona. I wanted to give Don credit for the some of the ideas here in the sermon, and uh, uh, but uh that somewhere you have to really decide to believe that one person makes a difference. And that you as one person can make a difference. Because I think Satan tells us this bill of goods that says you are insignificant. And we tell ourselves that lie, you know. I really can't do anything at that church. I, you know, I don't really have that much talent. There are other people more talented than me. And all those kinds of things. And so we're overwhelmed sometimes by a feeling of insignificance. And we think that the church really wouldn't miss us if we were gone. And really, you know, they really don't need me there. Those kinds of things. The farthest thing from the truth. Every member of the body is important. Every member of the body is important. And you make a difference. And a lot of times you make differences you don't even realize within the kingdom already. So we want to talk about what that means to, to make a difference. You know, Helen Keller said, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do Something. When God was calling people to make great, significant changes in the world, when He called Israel and one of the nations, he, he called one man, Abraham. When He wanted to deliver them out of Exodus, He called one man, Moses. Now Moses at the beginning said, I'll be the leader, and He wasn't ready. Later on, He sees the bush and says, I can't do this, and God says, Now you're ready, you know. And, but He uses Him. And then, then later on, when the earth got so evil, it looks like it's just the destruction needed to take place of the human race. God raised up Noah, that one man, to make a huge difference and impact in the world. So God is, uses one person. And it always isn't in a great uh, 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 way like leading nations. Sometimes it's just reaching your neighbor. Sometimes it's just the one person in your family. We talk about this theme of discipleship and the power of one. In a church this size, uh, with all three of our assemblies going on, it would be real easy to think that I'm not important, that I'm not significant, that my attendance would be, uh, uh, wouldn't be missed, or that my, uh, my giving wouldn't be missed, or that my talent wouldn't be missed. You would be missing R when you're not here. You're important to the kingdom. We don't come to the assembly because of what we get out of it. We want to come to the assembly so we gather up to take good things to the world that they need, this one man called Christ Jesus. That's why we do what we do. The single most Common characteristic among successful people, got it? The number one characteristic, common characteristic of successful people is that they truly believe they can make a difference. Here's a few folks that made a difference. Candy Light, remember her? Because of the death of a, her daughter by a drunk driver, started Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And look how that's made an impact in our culture Rachel Wheeler was only 12 years old. She raised $175,000 to build 27 houses in Haiti. Just one kid. 
making a difference. Nancy Brinker started the Susan G. Coleman for Cancer Foundation in memory of her sister. And it's raised billions of dollars for research. And I like this guy, Chad Pagracki. He grew up fishing on the Mississippi River. He wanted to make a difference. He wanted to clean up the river. And so in the past 15 years, here's what he's done. He's pulled out more than 67,000 tires. By the way, he don't realize he could come over here to the redneck community and sell them all. But, I mean, there's a whole other business there, right? Uh, he pulled out 67,000 tires, 218 washing machines, 19 tractors, 12 hot tubs, 4 pianos, and 1,000 refrigerators out of the Mississippi River. But he now has, uh, uh, since this time, he has, he has gathered all these volunteers. He has 84,000 volunteers who together have collected 8.4 million pounds of debris out of the Mississippi River. Because one kid said, I want to make a difference. You see, Wysery Road was started years and years ago because there were some individuals that said, we want to make a difference in our community and in our world and in our... We want to make a difference. All because one person had already made a difference named Jesus Christ. And so a group of disciples that were totally sold out to Him came and started this church right here. And then out of that church, it all of a sudden became the dream. Well, we can make a difference not only locally, but we can make a dream around the world. And World Radio Ministry was born because some guys had a dream to make a difference. Then that, out of that, now we're in over a hundred nations and a hundred different languages with radio programs all over the world. Now relief ministry is born. Back we had the school of preaching back, uh, back in the day. Remember we, uh, some of you older ones that are here, we had a school that trained, uh, ministers that went all around the world planting churches and preaching in churches. I love that because I remember on those giving days, Johnny, you'll remember some of these. Remember some of those, we had to ask a lot of money to feed some of those guys because we didn't charge them anything. We trained guys for years and years. We'd have a big gathering. I've, I've seen guys bring up uh, uh, deeds to land and give or jewelry. Women would bring jewelry to give in the contribution. People would give rings. People would give uh, vacation time and money that they got out of that and vehicles because they wanted to see us reach the world. One person does make a difference. Well, how does all that take place? Well, none of us can do everything. But everyone can do something. Look in Matthew chapter 3. I love old John the Baptist. You know, he dressed a little funny, ate a little different. Kind of like some of you. Y'all are saying that about me today. I wore a suit. I got a lot of com- com- comments. I start to say compliments. More comments. Because I typically don't wear a suit. But someone did make notice that I wore a suit and said that I looked good enough to bury. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what that meant. But, you know, I'm taking it for, for what it's worth. Because if they're burying me, hey, I've done stepped into a greater place, right? So, Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is who he spoken through the prophet Isaiah. A voice... Of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. Now there's a diet that will work. You do that one. You'll, you'll lose weight on that one right there. You may lose a free, few friends too, I'm not sure, but you'll lose weight. 
People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, remember that elite religious group that could interpret the law? They coming to him, uh, he saw he was baptized. He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, why, we have Abraham as our father. Basically, he says, look, you can't claim your past heritage. You can't claim, you can't claim the name on the religious group. You can't claim who you're kin to and say, hey, I'm in already because Abraham's my dad. No, no, it won't work. I'll tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John comes on the scene preaching here. And the first thing I learned about John that we need to learn is that your, your purpose must be clear. Now, and, and John's purpose was totally clear. He knew he was the set-up man for Christ. He knew he came into this world to preach and to teach and to say, we're looking for the Lamb of God, be looking for Him. And his purpose was clear his pre, of what he was preaching. And so he, he, had, his, he had it totally in his mind exactly what he was going to do uh, and, and the purpose that he had. Now, how can you find out your purpose? Well, you find out your purpose by the way you define success. That's how you'll know what your purpose has been decided on. You see, what does a successful Christian look like to you? See, my, my purpose is to, I want to win all my family to Jesus, and I want to take as many other people with me when, I, when we go to heaven. That's my purpose. It's clear. That's my purpose. Now, if, if, if my purpose as a parent, what's my purpose? Is to educate my kid and make him successful in life? Well, there's some, there's some things and responsibilities, but is that my purpose? No, my purpose is to get him to heaven. That's my purpose. I've got to stay strong on what, being clear on what my purpose is. My purpose as a student is, is more than gathering around one pole one time a year to pray. My purpose is to gather around my Bible every day with students every time I get an opportunity and study and share the good news of Jesus. My purpose has to be clear. My purpose as a businessman in the marketplace is to be financially successful. That's okay if you are. That's what we want, right? We want you to be successful, but there's a greater purpose, and that is to be bold in the marketplace. For Jesus Christ. Because you have a voice in the community and the culture. Make sure that your purpose is clear. Then John said not only that, but I like John, your, your message must be convicting. Notice the three things he said there. Repent, confess your sins, and be baptized. Now who was he preaching this message to? Well, he's preaching it to his own nation, calling them back to God, right? And by the way, that need still exists today for us to preach to our own nation in America and call them back to God. That's a good thing, and we never need to be afraid to, to get that out there and put our voice in a strong, bold way in our culture. Come back to God. We want them close to God. But he preached not only to his nation, but to his religious leaders, Not only that, to the common man he had this message of come back, to repent, confess your sins, be baptized. 
And he had that message that went out even to political leaders, to Herod. He said, you can't have that woman. That's not right. Of course, we remember eventually thrown in jail, head cut off. But his message was convicting. You see, repentance doesn't happen without remorse. Conversion doesn't happen without conviction. Baptism says, let's start all over. Let's initiate ministry. The Holy Spirit shows up. That's what happened with Jesus' baptism, right? This thing of confessing. We need to be a church, and I love that we are. When someone walks down this aisle, that groups come with them, and people hug on them, and we can confess our sins, and we can be free from things. This has to stay a safe place to be. This is where confession should be, right here in your forever family, where people can support uh, you. Look, as a church, we are a hospital for sinners. We're not a museum for saints. We're not an audience that have come to a church activity. We are a body and a family of people who are here to connect with one another. And when he preached this, he preached it with passion. Now, prophets tend to be very passionate, you know. And John the Baptist, he was very passionate in his message and, and in bold. And, and, and prophets tend to see things black and white. That's kind of how they always view things, right? And they do one of two things. They either draw people to them like a magnet or they repel people. But that's the nature of being a prophet. Matter of fact, you try to make this prophet not be that, and you're going to run into all kinds of problems, you see. That's the nature of a prophet. But he always had passion for God. How do you increase your passion? That fire in the bones that Jeremiah had, chapter 20, verse 1, how do we increase that kind of thing inside of us? Look, if you take a coal and add it to a bunch of hot coals, it all just gets hotter. But if you take one out and put it by itself and disconnect it from the source, guess what happens? It cools down, dries up. It's not good for anything. You can't stay disconnected and be a passionate person. If you want more passion, you've got to start running with those who are passionate about the kingdom. If you really want enthusiasm, you've got to start being around those kinds of folks. That enthusiasm, by the way, just means God in you. And if God in you can't cause some passion, I don't, nothing else will, you see. John was passionate about his message. But not only was he clear on his purpose and his message was convicting, his actions were consistent. He told them this. You produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is an ongoing thing. You know, the word repentance means change, right? And, and at the very heart of the gospel, change takes place. It takes place in my life. My sins are gone. Uh, my guilt's gone. My shame. And all of a sudden, I start living different. I start trying to be like Christ. That's change. And sometimes we're afraid of change. you got to understand, change is the very heart and core of the good news of Jesus. We always should be changing and growing and, 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 and looking more like Christ. And repentance is that continual walk that every day I turn around and look at how I live life. And I say, how can I be more like Christ today than I was yesterday? That's change. It's an attitude of repentance, not just a one-time event in our life. It's easy sometimes in our repentance to get off track into other things. Our actions must be consistent in the community in which we live. You know... How do you think the world or even our country looks at American Christians? 
You know what one overwhelming view is from the world? That they're a bunch of complainers. They complain about this, they complain about that. But you know, here's our problem. If our religious freedom is threatened, I don't want to complain about it. I want to have actions that are consistent with being a Christian in the culture in which we live. And that means you and I, we need to be registered to vote. We need to take responsibility for uh, the people we put in office. Look, we have the, the lousiest record as a group of people getting the vote out and getting, and getting Christians to go to the polls. And then we turn around and want to gripe about what's going on in America. I'm telling you, don't gripe to me if you're not willing to get out and take action that is consistent with the commitments you made. Get up off your duff and go vote. Can I say that uh, any more passionate? I mean, I didn't get this just because I watched a debate last night. I mean, there's some pretty ugly things in that thing, you know. I'm just telling you, God's people ought to have a voice in the culture. We want to get the greatest message out, Jesus, in the spirit of the greatest command. Loving God and loving other folks. But that means our actions must be consistent. We must be involved. Not only that, our attitudes must be changed. You know, John, he didn't have a problem understanding his attitude. He, he said, look, I'm not even worthy. These sandals, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. His humility and his spirit and his attitude was in the right place. He knew that it was his job to say Jesus is coming. He's the one. Matter of fact, when John taught his disciples, the Bible says when Jesus came along, his disciples followed Jesus. I've got to teach men, discipleship should cause men to follow Jesus, not follow me. A disciple doesn't say, hey, come follow me and I'm going to teach you. No, a disciple says, I'm going to make a disciple by teaching you so that when you see Jesus, you'll follow him. And so, that's what John did. And at the same time, always understanding that his spirit and his attitude was one to lift up Christ, not himself. So our attitudes have to be in the right place. But you know what? If, if your purpose is clear, your attitude is much, much easier to keep intact. Look, even as we grow older, I think the tendency is for us to get in a rut and not check our attitudes. It's, it's, it's because we lose our purpose. Look, if you're my age, close to death. <laughs> no, I'm not quite that far, but if you're between the age of 55 and 65, statistically, you've got a third of your life left to honor God. That means whatever ministry you've been in, if you're saying, Mike, I've done that ministry 30 years, I'm tired of that, I'm burned out, I need to to get out of that ministry. Okay, then, get another ministry. Because you see that the word retirement is not in the Bible. We're not about retiring, we're about reloading. 
So we're going to find, look, if I used to do that, I can't do that. I can't get on the floor and play with the kids anymore. That's fine. We need greeters at the back door and the front door. We need, uh, we need folks to work in the sound booth and at the computer. We need people in our children's room. I would love, here's what I would love. I would love that when Natalie and Lindy were back there uh, by, by that door, and that, that there would just be a line I couldn't get to them because people would be lined up saying, hey, look, what, what grade can I help with? Uh, who can I go in and, and help in the class? And, and when can I get involved in Bible hour? And just a line up here because you've decided, while you've already done other ministries, you're now reloaded to do another ministry. No matter what age you are, from the oldest to the youngest, we need you in this family. You can be used. You, one person, can make a tremendous difference in the kingdom. But you've got to believe that. Don't buy Satan's lie. You're not too old. You're not too untalented. You, well, it doesn't matter if you're educated or not, God can use you to accomplish great things in the kingdom. Don't quit ministry. Change. Do another one. Don't retire. Reload. I like what one guy said. I'm not going to give out, give in, or give up till I'm taken up. And I ain't going to start dying till I'm dead. Think about that one. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to have a great position. You don't have to be of a powerful, powerful personality. You can make a difference. Remember this college student? Tenement Square stood up and made a difference. And the whole world sees this one guy in front of these tanks. Remember this lady? An ordinary woman, Rosa Parks, who rode the bus all the time, finally said one day, I'm not moving to the back seat. And one lady kicked off the civil rights uh, movement. And now look how that thing's gone. I'm telling you, look, one person, one ordinary woman that says, I'm going to do what's right. I don't care. I'm going to be bold in the marketplace. I'm going to do the right thing. And look at the difference it can make. You're that one person. In your job, in your community, and in your school, God desires to use you to make an impact. It may not make the history books. It may not be famous. It may not be on TV screens anywhere. But I promise you, in eternity, somebody will hug your neck and say, Thank you for the one invite you gave me that turned me on to the gospel. Wow. What a difference you can make. Well, here's the take home. So what can I do today? How, where can I start this thing? I'll tell you what, just find one person this year. Just go ahead and take your pen out and write down the name of one person you want to reach for this year. You want to make a disciple. Write their name down. Put it in your phone. You got them? Just that one. Just one. Or next time you give to this church, you just, just look. Just add one dollar. Is there anybody that couldn't add one dollar to your check? We're feeding kids in different parts of the world. We're trying to do ministry and send missionaries and do all kinds of other stuff around here, around here in our own community. Just one. You can't add just one. Look, there's a way you can do just one more thing. Find one more ministry to serve in. 
don't be in the audience. Be in the body. Connect. Get with passionate people in the kingdom. Whether it's hosting a house church or whether it's being in a small group. Whether it's the hospitality, having people in your home. Whatever that one, whether it's going to the hospital to make that visit. We need everyone in this body to be active, understanding they can make a difference in the kingdom. You know how valuable you are? You tell the value of something by the price paid for it. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and me. That's how valuable you are. Remember the wise man said, as, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You ever seen a guy, you know, uh, 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 you know I, I mean, I'm a great golfer. I go once in a great while. Boy, that's what I mean by that. One, about a once a year guy, you know, I get out and, and but you, you ever seen a guy get up, he's going to hit the ball and he, he hits it and he goes off rolling down there and he says, I knew I was going to do that. Well, that's why you did it. You reproduce what you imagine in your mind. And that's how you end up performing all the time. So you, when you believe the lie that Satan says that you're insignificant and you don't matter and you won't be missed and all these kind, when you believe that, you end up doing that. I'm asking you to rebuttal Satan's lies about who you are and your significance and believe that you are a child of the king, a royal priesthood. You're the saved of heaven, and you've got a great future. Not here. Our future's in heaven. I'm not living this life just to enjoy this life, because this is just practice for a greater life to come. So get on board and enjoy this life to the fullest, but be used by God in the kingdom. It's an adventure. It's exciting. It's for risk takers. Let's get out of our comfort zone. And in this thing of making disciples, let's understand. Every person in here can make a difference. Father, we love you. Thank you for the day. Thank you, Father, for how you've used so many in this church already. And we want to be used. We want to reach the world. We want, Father... uh, Help people find healing. And, and we want to be a compassionate folks. We need your wisdom and your discernment, Father, and your guidance. Thank you, Father, for my church family. I love them so much. And it's exciting, Father, to see how you're using so many different ones in different ways. So bless us, Father, to grow as a body of Christ, to be connected to you and to one another, and to take this greatest news in the world of Jesus Christ to the world around us. In his name we pray. Amen. If you have a need to come forward today, we're going to have that opportunity while we stand and while we sing.